everyone. Welcome to the Worship Artistry Podcast. My name is Jason Houtsma and with me, Mr. Daniel Ornelas. What is up, Daniel? What's up, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing pretty good. Doing you, pretty good. Well, Just got home from uh, Phoenix. Oh, yeah? So so in Phoenix, yeah. they, don't, they don't change the clocks, right? Nope. <laughs> So does that throw you off at all? Well, it's kind of as weird because I got home and it, it normally is two hours difference. So I told my wife I'd only be home at 10.30, but I actually arrived home at 9.30, which is a pleasant surprise because <laughs> the time had changed here, but not there. It's good. Man, you know, daylight savings, when I was a when I was a kid, it would be like, oh, sweet, you get an extra hour of sleep in the wintertime. But now the, now you don't because you're just like, I still just wake up at the same time. Now I'm just awake an hour early and I don't know what to do. <laughs> I'm with you, man. I'm with you 100%. I hate it. <laughs> well, and the funny thing about it is, so, you know, I don't know if you ever have one of these things, but sometimes, you know, you just, you hear something and you, and you get it in your brain that it works this way. You never really think it through. And then years later, all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, that's not true. And daylight saving time was totally that way for me. Like I was walking, like I used to think when people would say, oh, you, you gain an hour of sleep tonight. I thought that meant that we just got an extra hour of sleep every night for all of the winter. <laughs> and it's, and I, That's amazing. But it's what, I mean, it's one of those things I just thought when I was a kid and I never just thought about it again, you know? And then one day I'm just like, wait a minute. You only, you only get one hour. It's only one day. You don't get a whole extra hour of sleep every time. <laughs> yeah, I never ever thought of it that way. But I guess if you're a kid, we actually don't have daylight saving in South Africa at all. So I've never experienced it until I got to the States and when I was like 29. And they were like, we're going to change the time tomorrow. And I'm like, what do you mean you're going to change the time? <laughs> the time is the time. <laughs> you no, can't no, we just time. decide to change it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. And then there's a whole physics thing involved. It's just, it just is what it is. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it, they're actually thinking about on the West coast, California, Oregon, and Washington are all thinking about just doing away with daylight savings time. And so, but only one per like, like somebody has to do it first and then everybody else will follow suit. So I think we're just, everybody's just waiting to see like, who's going to be the first one. And I'm totally like, at first I was like, what changed daylight savings time? That's ridiculous. But then you actually think about it and go, actually, that'd be wonderful. Why, why do we do this to ourselves? Yeah. I mean, um, it's to save that bit of daylight. So, But what do the people do that live in like in the top part of Alaska where they only get three hours of daylight? They can't do anything. It makes right. no difference to those guys. Well, it makes a huge... I mean, even in Washington, it makes a huge difference. Like we get... We have, we have really short days and it gets to be the kind of thing where you're like... I mean, daylight savings time at least makes it so you're going to school in the daylight. But like it's already dark by yeah, the time yeah. you're, you're done with work. I mean, it's like four o'clock. It's pitch black. So you're just like, oh, everyone gets a lot more sleep, though. So you actually kind of do get an extra hour of sleep because by 8 o'clock, you feel like it's 11 o'clock. So everyone kind of shuts mm. it down. This is making a lot more sense to you, even as you speak. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. I was right the whole time. But if you actually, yeah, exactly. the problem is if you got rid of daylight savings time, the most attended day of church would, would not be most attended because the actual, when you get that extra hour of sleep is one of the highest church attendance days in the country that's pretty crazy it would so people wake up and go man i i got this hour i'm just sitting around thinking of all my sin i better get to church <laughs> too much sin to think about <laughs> yeah we're all hour when you were awake oh man well uh that's well, hilarious well speaking of getting to church i uh i'm actually really excited about our guest today um we have willow weston and she is actually she runs a, a ministry out here called collide and one thing is it's a women's ministry. They meet like, I think like once a month, but they do these incredible, obviously I haven't been, but I actually have a friend of mine who's, who's led <laughs> worship there and my wife is gone and it's, uh, it's very intentional and it, they, she is incredible. She has this whole team of people and they create these incredible worship environments and not only in terms of the physical space, but also in the way that they guide these women from all different denominations, all different backgrounds to kind of go through this like reaching out to God time. And it's it starts at the very beginning and it really goes through the whole thing. It's not just singing the whole time. There's workshops and talks and all kinds of stuff, but it, you'll hear her talk about it. It's really all kind of part of one idea. And I thought, you know, as as worship pastors, as people who who are develop, who are who are inviting people into worship every week, um, she has a lot of good things to say. And I'm going to give you a warning. 
Like she, one of her things, I mean, she gets, she gets intense right away. Like she, she digs in, like, there's no, like, there's no like, yeah. So first I do a couple songs that nobody's really listening to. And then we do this. I mean, she is like, like, let's, let's get right to it. There's a few times I'm like, wow, Willow, let me just think about that for about five minutes and then we'll edit the interview. So it actually flows because she's just bringing so much like meat into what she's saying. And so, um, it's a phenomenal, yeah, it's a phenomenal interview. It was incredibly challenging to me. I hope it's challenging to you. So, uh, without further ado, Willow Weston. Hi, Willow. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me on. This will be fun. Well, I, I hope so. I hope I don't ruin our friendship. <laughs> I I don't think you will. I I always enjoy my time with you. You crack me up and you make <laughs> me think very deeply. So oh, that's that's a lot to ask of me right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, well, I'm so happy you're able to be here. I I couldn't wait to talk to you. We've been talking about doing this for a while, and. Uh, Really, I wanted to talk to you about what you do with Collide, because uh, specifically around worship and pulling people in and engaging them in worship, you have such a unique environment. You have all women, for one, then you have mm -hmm. women coming from different denominations, different churches, all gathering together, all responding in worship to, um, to, what, you're, to what you're putting on. And so I'm just curious about your thoughts about that. So... If you were to just, you know, to make it an easy question, how important is it for people to engage in worship at one of your events? Hmm. Well, to me, when I think about worship at our events, so it, it's a, it's an interesting question and a bigger question. Maybe I'll re rewind a little bit to our story because I think uh, our story started kind of on accident. I wasn't looking to start a ministry or a women's ministry by any means. And it really started out of a place of my own brokenness and me seeking healing for childhood pain that was kind of being re-triggered uh, after I had kids. You know what kids will do to you. And ruin um, your life. They so, will ruin your life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they'll ruin your life and trigger every wound you've ever had. <laughs> no. Um, and so out of that, I started mentoring a girl from uh, church, and that turned into a Bible study. And we would look at Jesus colliding with wounded people in the New Testament and what happened as a result of that. And as we were colliding with Him, our lives were being changed while we were watching Him change other people's lives in the Bible. And uh, out of that came this kind of movement that started where we were challenged with the idea of what does it look like for us to collide with Jesus ourselves, look at him in the New Testament, and then how do we teach this message to other women? And so we thought, let's do an experiment, right? And let's let study a passage of scripture where Jesus collides, and then let's invite some ladies to come. And we did that. And at first there was 50 college-age kids, then 80, and then it just turned into this thing that's now like, we'll put on a conference for, you know, a thousand women or whatever. And you're right, they run uh, the gamut from the most conservative to the most liberal, everything in between on the church spectrum, but also so we have people who are agnostic, atheist, Buddhist, whatever, and they're coming and they are having collisions with Jesus and people's lives are being changed. And I won't go into all the other stuff we do besides that. But as far as worship, why, why I give you that backstory is I think um, part of setting up an experience where you invite people to come and receive a message and then worship is the worship is really a response of the message that they just heard. And I think one of the misconceptions that I experienced a lot, and maybe it's because I didn't grow up in the church and I grew up in a very irreligious home and wanted nothing to do with Christianity. So by the time I met Jesus, I, I would go into these churches. And it's so interesting because Often Christians have this sort of misconception that people immediately want to hear what you have to say. So just give them the Jesus answer and then play some really cool songs. And that's that's not what we do at Clyde. In fact, everything we do, every conference that we put on is actually the overflow of what God did in our hearts, in our own lives. So I'll walk women. Every single year, we have a team of about 30 women who commit to a year of service, and I walk them through a passage 
passage of scripture where they see Jesus collide with a wounded person. They allow him to collide with their lives. We don't do any planning for the conference on what worship songs we should play, what prayers we should pray, what sermons we should preach, what speakers we should ask to come. We don't do any of that. We simply study a passage of scripture and let God collide with our own lives. And then a couple weeks later, we gather together and out of the outflow of what God did in us, we start to dream up how can we create an experience where women will come and hear this message and then want to respond in worship. So I don't know if that answers your question, but we definitely are kind of living in real time as far as how we plan our worship experiences. And they are a result of what God's doing in us first, which is pretty cool because then these women get to see like, wow, I got to experience this firsthand in my own life with Jesus, but then I also got to figure out how do I invite other women to experience it? And then they brainstorm all these ideas, and then we teach the message and invite people to worship. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's, I I love how you can just, (laughs) like, it's just so at the top of your head right away. Just like, okay, here's all the things at the end. So that was a great interview. Thank you, Willow. I really appreciate you being here. And uh, (laughs) Peace out. Um, no, I, I want to jump on the, the word that stood out to me in that is using the word experience. You know, a lot of times we talk about like worship services or worship gatherings. You, you're specifically calling it an experience. Um, do you, is that cause that's how you think about it? Are you trying to create an experience? Like, what does that look like? What does an experience of worship look like? Yeah. So much different than sort of like weekly church experiences. We have a conference that might last say Friday for five and a half hours. And we very intentionally craft an experience. I like to say we craft a conversation from this beginning to the end where we take all the different elements from worship music to speakers to artists to reflection exercises to prayers to a response time where we'll call women to actually physically respond in some way. We do all of these things where we sort of craft an actual full conversation so that they're not coming and experiencing, um, wow, that was a great speaker. It all kind of ties into the theme of the collision that we're teaching for that particular night. So in that way, does it is there any kind of, I think a lot of times I think with churches, there's kind of this hierarchy. It's like, okay, we're going to have some music and then we're going to have the message mm-hmm. and then we're going to have a response. And then it's all, they all kind of have these, a little bit of a, here's your place and here's your place and your place. Do you see it more as like one whole thing? Do you see one portion of that as, as, as more important or more valuable or is, are you looking at that whole picture? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's all intertwined, right? So I'm trying to invite you, like thinking of how I can invite you into what I mean by this experience. So we were looking at the passage of scripture, the collision in scripture where Jesus collides with a man whose friends lower him through the roof because he's paralyzed, right? They, he's on a mat, they carry his mat, they lower him through the roof of the house and there Jesus is in this house party. And you know, the house is like a sold out concert. No one can get in. So these friends unroof a roof and they lower him down. And we started talking about like, how do we teach this passage of being able to carry each other's burdens? Like scripture says, that carrying burdens, when you carry burdens, you're actually fulfilling the law of Christ. And so it's one thing to just get up and be like, yeah, Jesus says you should carry each other's burdens. So carry each other's burdens, guys. And now we're going to sing the coolest worship songs on what it looks like that Jesus carried our burdens. (laughs) Like, (laughs) we don't do that. We sit in a room and we start talking about what kind of burdens are going to be actually walking in into the, into this conference. And we, we start talking about like, there's women who've been raped and there's women who've been betrayed in their marriages. And there's women who've been demeaned and told they're worthless. And there's women who have eating disorders. And like, we really engage, uh, the need in the room. And then we try to figure out, okay, if we want to talk about what does it look like to let people carry those burdens and what does it look like to carry each other's burdens? Like, how do we actually experience that in night? So we start brainstorming and we have this kind of like no holds bar brainstorming experience where we're like, let's just brainstorm and think of all these ideas that we can come up with for our worship experience without problem solving and implementing. Cause that's like a huge problem when you're trying to dream up big ideas. And so you 
can say, let's get Justin Bieber, you know, <laughs> to collide. And we're not going to say, oh, no, he'll he'll always say no. That's on my bucket list, by the way. Um, and <laughs> Justin so, Bieber to collide is on your bucket list? It is. It is. Isn't that so funny? Um, <laughs> I have lots of things on my bucket list that are super random. Anyway, so we start brainstorming this. How do we get women to experience burdens? And so we're like, what if every woman, like we gave her like a little mini backpack and we filled it with giant rocks and everyone had about four or five rocks. And we were like, oh man, when we got to implementation and like problem solving, we're like, we can't afford rocks. Rocks. Do you know, Jason, that rocks are freaking expensive? <laughs> <laughs> We were like, we, we can't afford rocks. And there's this woman on our team who she's Catholic and she, you know, she used to have, um, agoraphobia and fear of crowds and like has struggled with insecurity. And she joined our team kind of hesitantly, like, I don't know if I have anything to offer. And here she was in this room and we're brainstorming this. And she called me and she goes, Hey, my husband works for the city and I think I can hook you up with rocks. So long story short, we end up in the middle of some sort of rock quarry where this guy's like, take as many rocks as you want. And <laughs> we were surrounded by like mountains of rocks. And so here we are, these ladies, we have this truck and all these buckets and we're counting hundreds and hundreds of rocks. I think we had 950 people at that and each woman got four to five rocks. That's a lot of flipping rocks. <laughs> and so what we did was when people showed up at this experience, before they've even heard the message, they're given a little backpack with four or five pretty large rocks in their backpack. And then when they come in the beginning of the night, yes, like we have music that invites them into the welcoming love of God. But right away, we start just leveling the playing field. And we start saying, we say, we're going to have a time of reflection. And we want you to write down a burden that you have for someone else right now on your rock. So they had a Sharpie marker in that backpack and they write that down. And then we challenge them to write maybe a burden they have for themselves and to basically put four burdens on these rocks and carry them around. And then we had these sort of exchange points all throughout the night, whether it was at dinner or a, a certain portion between a speaker speaking or whatever, and women would exchange rocks. So now by the end of the night, you, you have rocks that say, um, you know, abused, you have rocks that say divorce, incest, um, fired, you know, friendship, betrayal, whatever, and you're holding these rocks and they're someone else's burdens and you don't know whose burdens they are. And at the end of the night, you know, when you're holding someone else's burdens and you're like, I can't do anything about these burdens at during worship time, we actually called women to respond and said, you are holding in your hands and they've experienced all night the sort of effects of like someone, we invited them all throughout the night, like tap someone on the shoulder on your way to dinner and grab a rock and exchange rocks. And you take one of theirs and they take one of yours. So some people would have less rocks and some people would have more rocks. So you actually experience that all through the night where burdens and the weight of them are shifting. At the end of the night, everyone's left with these burdens. And so when you call people to this idea that Jesus is the one who carries our burdens, that on the cross, he took all people's wounds, all people's sin, all people's mistakes, and that truly, like, the only thing we can do is carry each other's burdens to the one who can heal us all. You can have an agnostic, an atheist, someone who's been far away from God or hasn't talked to him in the last week but knows him deeply, and they're holding rocks that say these kinds of things on them. And when you call them to respond and carry those rocks up, we watched almost a thousand women lay, what, 4,000 rocks at the bottom of the cross. Because in a sense, walking up and laying those at the foot of the cross is you saying, I can't do anything about this. But there has to be one who is and placing it there. And it was one of the most beautiful worship experiences I've ever been a part. But you couldn't have had that experience by just calling them to that at the end through the worship music. What? What? <laughs> what? what? Wrong podcast. Sorry. Wrong are you, podcast. Are you saying that music is not the end all be all of worship? Is that what you're trying to say to me right now? Oh, man. Jason, <laughs> when I go to church, I, I can't say I go every weekend. I have teenagers and their lives are all over the place. But when I go, it's the music. At, at this place in my life, in my mid 40s, almost to my 50s, like I weep 
I, I just weep almost every time I'm standing uh, in the presence of worship music. So it is very powerful. But you know what I mean. There's an experience <laughs> that can move people to be able to respond to God in worship. Do you find that, that different people respond more to certain things than others? Like, for example, are there some people that you're like, they are so engaged in this exercise of carrying these rocks and some people are walking kind of like, yeah, I've been, uh, my back hurts because I've been carrying around all these rocks all day. And then you have other people that are like, I'm so into this, like, like singing all together right now. How amazing. We have all this, these women in the same room. And then there's other people that are kind of like, yeah, the singing isn't really my deal, but like, I can definitely bring those rocks up there. Like, do mm-hmm. you see that kind of difference or do you see kind of every, everybody engaging in everything? Well, I mean, you know, there's certainly misses, right? Like you plan something, you think it's going to be awesome. And then it falls flat on its face and you're like, Oh my gosh, you know, but I think when you level the playing field for people, more people respond. Like when you kind of invite, when you invite people in, in worship in, into something where they they act upon something, but you invite people from all the places that they're at. Like we set a table at Collide where anyone can come and collide with Jesus. And we make it clear from the get-go that, you know, there's a lot of differences in the room, but there's a lot of commonalities. And a lot of our commonality is that we're hurting, um, we're broken, we're scared, we're lonely. We, we've, uh, been disappointed by other people we're in need or we're, we're hoping for something more. We have big dreams. We want to have a purpose life. Like if you can kind of level the playing field that it's not really about where you're at with God, as much as that you have these, this pain and you have these desires, when you call them to act upon something, as long as you're calling all the people in the room, you're going to get a higher level of response. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's such a, seems like it would be such a luxury as well to have, I mean, to have that amount of dedicated time, right? Like uh, my wife and I just went on this little retreat that we led with a few couples and we were out at Friday Harbor and, uh, you know, I was out there and I was just thinking like, I cannot imagine doing this like, cause it was supposed to be like, Hey, here's a thing that you can do for your small group in seven weeks. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I can't imagine walking through this material in a small group. Like, on a, on a weekly basis. Like this is something that to, to really get the most out of it is to dive in and create the space and create some sort of expectation and actually be willing to engage in that. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you invite people into that? Cause the thing that I think about in that scenario is like people come to collide and they're expecting something and they're also being invited by either you or a friend or whatever. Like how does invitation and expectation kind of melt into that experience? Well, before I answer that, Jason, can I go back to your, what you just shared about you and Allie going away on this, on this retreat and like how you kind of can't imagine the luxury of, um, we have this five and a half hour window, right? And I know a lot of your listeners have an hour and a half window, right? If they're a worship pastor at a church or. I mean, I've been to some churches that go for about five hours, but. (laughs) Oh yeah. So it's a lot. I, I wonder though, if, if, and I hear you that it's a luxury to have that long, but I wonder if if we're really intentional about the worship and response experience, can we create that say, like a lot of churches have series, right? A series lasts for six weeks. Like, can we build up to something where we call people to respond on the six week? Like, I think that's, I think that's possible. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it takes intentionality. I mean, I experience a lot of, uh, worship, uh, experiences at churches where people are very like, we pick the coolest song. We had our, um, we had our pastor do a sermon. He doesn't go over this amount of time. We had the opening announcements. It's just very like, okay, we do this thing. It's this formula, but are we being intentional about what we're calling people to? I was in a church service. I hate to open up a a can of worms here with a, a polarizing topic. I'm not trying to be polarizing when I talk about it, but I was in a a church service in the last couple of years and a pastor was a male who was speaking on abortion. 
And um, he actually pretty vulnerably shared uh, one of his own personal experiences, which I, I honored his courage. But at the end of the time, when it ended, there was a song and a prayer for God to be with us that day or whatever. And then it was over. And this woman who I'd invited a single mom with a kid who's been, you know, pretty sick a lot of her life, she stood up crying and turned around and looked at me because I was sitting behind her and she said she would have been 18. And she was referring to 18 years ago, she got an abortion. Here she is. Oh, she heard geez. this message and, you know, it then it led into some worship music and a prayer, but she's left there with now, what do I, what do I do with this pain? And I think that our job, if we're going to be leading people through a message about God and how He engages and interacts with our life, and then we're going to call them to worship, it is our responsibility to recognize what's walking in and sitting in those chairs. And what do we do with all the pain and the confusion and the mess? And how are we inviting people to deal with it? Because otherwise, we just open up a can in our life and said, like, you know, this pastor's, pastor's pointing out that it's wrong and don't do it, but what she's supposed to do with the fact that 18 years ago she did. Mm-hmm. So I think there there has to be an intentionality around what we're calling people to in worship. Mm-hmm. That's kind of heavy there, Willow. I know, you can, <laughs> you can cut that out. No, no, I, no, not, no, not at all. I'll cut out, the, I'll cut out what I'm saying now. <laughs> Well, my my point is, is that um, sometimes I think we're too flippant about it. I think we're not intentional enough about it. I think we're not thinking about, we're opening people up, but we're not being intentional about what we're calling them to at the end of the time. That's why, like, for example, with, with Collide, we go into these conferences and we very purposely say it every single one, if this has brought things up in you that you that are hurting, that are broken, that you feel like you need healing for, we want to fiercely commit to walk alongside you to get the help you need through our counseling program. And we want to take all the obstacles out of the way, including paying for you if we have to, to get you the help you need. But a lot of times in church, we'll give these messages and, and then we'll lead people through a time of worship, but they're left with, well, now what do I do? And I think we have to start talking about what are we asking of people? How are we asking them to respond when we're leading them to this place? Are we just leaving them sitting there feeling guilty or miserable or sad or broken. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, and like when I think about it, I think that, I think when I think about luxury, you know, we're talking about luxury of having this long time. There's also a luxury about if you have a community in your church that you are part of, right. That you're engaged with. It's like there, there are those people that are there hopefully for that to continue on, right. To have that. But to your, to your point, it's like sometimes we just gloss right over it. Okay, everyone have a good week. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that has to, I think that has to do with like an, uh, like an overarching emphasis on the, on the gathering as like, this is what church is rather than community, the kingdom of God, this is what church is. Mm-hmm. And, um, but that is community, right? It is engaging. It is inviting. It is, it is having people really be a part of something, not just come to spectate and watch. Yeah, I was I was speaking at a retreat a couple weeks ago, and you know, oftentimes because I I do this thing, um, I'll show up and they ask for this amount of talks on this topic, and you know, you can do that, you can do that, that can be your gig or whatever, and it has been, um, oftentimes for me. Not that I don't think about it or pray about it, don't worry. But um, <laughs> they were wanting me to talk about identity in Christ, and I started kind of praying about like, man, like how do I get people to recognize like the lies they've believed about themselves. And I, um, I was brainstorming, like, what do I do? And I knew I was going to tell a story about my daughter and something that happened to her when she was little that had this capacity to like stick with her the rest of her life. And so her and I, my daughter and I years ago did this post-it note exercise. So I decided, oh, I'm going to take a risk on this and I'm going to open up the retreat and I'm going to talk about these lies that kind of stick with us since we're little and we carry them around with us. And until we begin to unstick them, and that was kind of the invitation for the weekend is like this weekend is about unsticking those 
lies. And I gave them all post-it notes. And I said, I want you to start writing down the lies you believed about yourself, one on every single post-it note. But I knew I was going to take a risk at the end of this retreat. So like two days later, I was going to give them post-it notes as well, like two different stacks. And one was start writing down the truths that you're hearing about God. And I knew the risk was at the end, I was going to have, you know, a room of a hundred ladies all break up in these small groups. And one lady would stand in a circle. And I thought this could completely fail. Like I could literally like be like, peace out, great retreat. And it totally flops. But I have to tell you, speaking of community and the beauty of community and what can happen when you call people to respond and worship and then what happens when the community is doing it together was great. Like, I couldn't have planned this. Like, I was afraid to do it because I've never done it in a group before and I thought this could fail. But I had them break up in these groups and each woman would stand in the middle of the circle with her lies all over her body. And then the rest of the group would come around her and they came around her and they would minister to her and take off those lies and tell her those are lies. And different groups did different stuff. Some people ripped them off. I remember seeing one group where there was this like 40 year old woman that looked at this 70 year old woman and she pulled off a post note and she read out loud and she said, you deserve to be abused no, you don't. That is a lie from the pit. And she tore it up and stomped on it. And they started putting truths all over this lady. You are a child of God. You matter. You're valued. You're worthy. And this 70-year-old woman is just weeping. And this was a room full of this happening. And I thought, there is no better way for me to leave speaking at a retreat than seeing these women in this community. They're caring for each other's wounds. They're speaking truth over each other's lives. They're ministering to each other, right? It, it was super cool and really had nothing to do with me. And they can go back in their community and continue to do that for each other all the time when lies sneak into their lives. Jeez, Willow, that's, that's, that's vulnerable. There's a, <laughs> there's a lot of vulnerability there. Yeah, don't, don't call me and ask me to speak at your retreat if you don't want that. Okay, but definitely remember, not. That's, that's <laughs> just an just experience <laughs> over a couple days worth of time. But mm. I think we can create experiences for people. So let's put that in a six-week series at your church mm. where, you, where you walk people through an experience. So by week six, not only have they identified lies that they've begun to believe and why they begin to believe them, but they've also heard truth. So by the time you get them to an experience in worship, you can call them to something and they will do vulnerable things because you've gotten their heart ready for it. Do you think that there's, you know, Collide is a women's ministry, do you think that there is a, what do you think are the, like the, the advantages to having, to having that be all women in that room versus having your average church service where you have men and women and most of the time, uh, right or wrong, it's often led by mostly men? Yeah. That's that's a funny story because we get emails and stuff. People are like, "When are you gonna start Brolide?" So, <laughs> it's like the husbands, like, "Wow, this is working out. Maybe I should." Wait, totally. I have to do what? <laughs> totally. One guy emailed me and he's like, you know, it'd be super cool if on April Fool's, it was April Fool's that day, he goes, create an event called Brolide and invite people to it. And then when they get to the page to buy their tickets, you're like, psych, like April Fool's. So I thought that was hilarious. So we actually did it and people got upset because they thought it was real. Um, what are the advantages? You, know, you should have asked me. You should have asked me. I would have told you that was a terrible idea. <laughs> Well, if you're looking for a new gig, bro lights up. You you can you can have it. Um you know, I I don't want to uh gender stereotype. I know that's not what you're asking me to do, but I I think having a room full of women, they have commonalities and common experiences. Right? I just came across a CNN article where one in sixteen uh women uh, have their first sexual experience was rape. That's a CNN news article. And why that matters is that means that in your church pews and in the conferences that I put on, probably one person out of a row of 16, that's their story. And that's just one area of brokenness. So we, we in a room have experiences that are different than what you, Jason, with other men would have. That That's just true. But I also don't think that brokenness 
isn't something men resonate with. I just think it's all about how you invite them to recognize it. I was speaking at a church last spring and uh, a pastor contacted me from the church and asked me what he could pray for. And I was talking about the passage where Jesus talks about fear and anxiety. And he says, you know, do not worry. And he talks about look Look at the birds, look at the lilies. And the, he, Jesus does this crazy thing in that passage where he takes anxiety all the way back to a sense of value. And so I knew that I was going to go into this church, men and women, and I was going to call them to recognize where their value was stolen, when it was stolen, who it was stolen by, and invite them to allow Jesus at the end to give them back their value. But it go, I knew the message was going to go heavy. And I kind of had this fear, like men are just going to want me to come in and be like, okay, it's a week on anxiety. Some chicks coming in here, they're used to only male voices. I'm going to come in and get all like, God loves you. You're valued. That's not, I was thinking, that's not what they want to hear, right? They just want me to tell them like deep breathe and go on a vacation in Hawaii for a week or something. Um, so I told this pastor, like, please pray for men, pray that they respond. Um, and I have to say that I went in and did, I think they have three services or whatever. So I preached their three ser- sermons at this like mega church. And I had more men coming up to me, weeping, crying, like one guy came up to me and said, I wasn't planning on going to church this weekend. I don't go to church. And I was driving in my truck in the county. And he said he just felt this nudge that he should show up at a church. And <laughs> he was weeping because he's so broken in his life and he lost his value years ago. And he's in a breakup currently. And he went and bought our women's collide Bible studies that we published. And I was dying because I went over to the you know, book table where they were selling his Bible studies. And I'm like, did you tell this guy that these are women's Bible studies? And they're like, no, we didn't even think to tell him that. So we had all these men responding and buying women's Bible studies for themselves and like really are broken. And I think if, if I could say anything about that topic, I think that we're untapping the brokenness in men's lives because we're afraid that they're going to act too machismo for it. And I think that that's not true. I think they want healing. I think they're struggling. I think that they're feeling like there's really high expectations and they're not meeting them. I think that they've been told they don't have what it takes to be the person that they wanted to be. I think there's a lot of brokenness in men, but we aren't being courageous enough and intentional enough about how do we enter into their brokenness in a way that will make them want to say yes to God's healing. Do you have any messages that are just like, Hey, here's three ways to have a better week. (laughs) (laughs) No, I hold that up to people who are better than that. Hey, I have, I have one life. I got to, I got to be a messenger about the things that I feel like really matter. So that's, that's what I'm doing. Well, you know, I, knowing you and knowing, knowing what you do, it's, it's awesome to see you live into this calling and be so obedient and the, the events, these worship experiences that you put on and your heart behind them are, they are famous in the area. And I hope they become famous worldwide. I keep being like, you need to tape these things. You got to put them on the internet. You got to do your <laughs> TED Talks. Willow, get a podcast going, which you finally did. So way to I go. did. Way you to go are for you. highly responsible for me having a podcast. Thank you for making me more busy. The best, no, the best part I'm... was that my mom was actually listening to it and, and, and was just like, oh man, I just love this podcast. I'm like, that was my idea. <laughs> <laughs> See? You didn't know you were going to impact your mom's life. There you go. Invite her to come to Jesus. That's awesome. Hopefully hopefully for the better. <laughs> I'm sure I've done sure. plenty of damage. <laughs> well, all sons do a little damage, but we <laughs> love our boys. Awesome. Well, Willow, I, I feel like I could talk to you about this forever. Uh, but I think, I, I, think that, I think you've given me so much to chew on. It's like a good time to stop because... That last, like, even just that last five minutes, I'm just like, oh, you could just sit there and listen to that for a long time. I mean, because I, th- I think you're right. I think, I think there is a lot of brokenness. Um, it's been crazy. And uh, a couple weeks ago, kind of to kick off the season of the podcast, I I shared my own like faith crisis. Kind of, you know, I'm seeing all these people kind of say like, I don't believe in Jesus anymore, and mm. I was in that same spot uh, a few years ago, and so I just shared that story. And I cannot get over the amount of emails 
and people re- that have reached out. Like we've probably gotten more emails over this one episode than we've gotten like ever. Mm-hmm. And they're like long emails. Like this is my story. This is I, like, I needed somebody to say this and it's, it's been incredible. And it's amazing how, when you take that risk, how people just respond and you have taken such a risk with this thing and you've been so obedient and the response has been incredible. And I just, I just pray blessing on what you're doing for, for a long time to come. Cause it's incredible. Oh, thanks Jason. Thank you. I appreciate you and all that you do. And it's fun to have this conversation. I do think we could talk for hours. We've had dinner together and our families could talk for hours. So <laughs> thank you for having me. And thank you all who are listening for all that you do to impact lives. So what about you, Daniel? Have you ever been in a, in a, in a gathering where you, you feel like you've been led to a certain place and then you kind of just get left Absolutely, man. It's it's actually the one of the things that find I find quite difficult with being in a church that has multiple services, because uh, you know there's like another whole herd of people that are waiting to come in the doors and start over again. It's like it's it's that that it's that middle service or the, you know, you just feel like something's really sweet's happening, and then you go, well, <laughs> that's that, <laughs> and you just have to wrap up where you're at. And I feel I feel like that's a bummer sometimes. I've also though on the other side of it been in services where. I feel like everything's already happened. And then the person on stage believes that there's another three hours to be happening (laughs) (laughs) and they'll just keep going and going. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I've definitely, I have definitely been in those. And, and when there is no kind of like natural ending point, it's kind of like, are we allowed to leave? Can I, can I go? I wonder if there's something where, you know, a lot of, a lot of churches, you know, that have a lot of services, they have a lot of teams, right? Like, I wonder if there would be a natural Mm -hmm. place to have a team that's kind of like, Hey, when this is done, you know, we can go meet in this other room because it's probably a pretty big church if you're doing a bunch of services, you know, and kind of keep mm-hmm. working through some of the stuff and have some people there to minister. It might be kind of an interesting idea. Wow, that's cool. That's but, super um, cool. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, speaking of continuing to minister, Daniel, what time is it? It's member mail time, so why don't you just go ahead and hit it? Perfect. I was so prepared. I was so prepared for that one. I was actually shamed because someone I met this week said to me, hey, Daniel, member mail. Ah, and I was like, oh, he shamed me. So now I prepared myself. <laughs> I woke up extra early. I had a, a, a quiet time just about member mail. And I went member mail, member mail, member mail. Hit, hit, hit it, hit it. Over in my head 25 times. Way to go, man. Way to go. Okay. So hit it. So yeah. So today's member mail comes to us uh, from anonymous. They actually they actually wish to remain anonymous, and we respect that. Um, but I think it's a great question. Uh, they say, "I really appreciate your podcast. Thanks for all the time you invest." I have a question for you. I am the worship arts director at a growing 400-ish person church in a community of about 8,000. We come from a more charismatic denomination, but being the only Protestant church in town, have adopted a more quote general Protestant feel to our worship times. One of our worship leaders is more in the traditional charismatic vein. This more this more demonstrative form of worship with hallelujahs and prompts for the congregation to engage is very authentic for him, but doesn't seem to quite fit our vision for being a church focused on reaching everyone in our community. There's a segment of the church who loves this, but I'm concerned that it may pose an obstacle for those who are new to the faith. I don't want to stifle the Holy Spirit, but I also don't want our Sunday experience to be weird and lose the opportunity to reach people with the gospel. We have people across the spectrum from those exploring faith to those who have been walking with God for years. Some questions would be, how much to encourage the congregation to engage? As in, come on, let's hear you sing to the Lord. Uh, Does free singing, ad-libbing lyrics during an instrumental break, etc. cause people to disengage? What about longer instrumentals? Praise offerings with clapping, encouraging people to shout the role of tongues in in the Sunday experience. For much of this, it feels like many of the ways that helped people to engage in worship 10 years ago really don't work now. However, I am looking to base this on something other than my opinion. I want you to go first. Okay. <laughs> no, you go first. That's how we do this. I read the question. You have to go first. <laughs> yeah, man, that's a, that's a really interesting question. Uh, for me, you know, there's there's a lot of things that uh, that kind of make this triggers in my own life, uh, stuff that I've been through when I was young. I worked for like different evangelists over, over my life and some of those have great feelings about them. I have great feelings about them and some of the stuff it really feels like, wow, that was weird or, and so, you know, through the lenses of my spiritual walk in my life, 
uh, there's been stuff that I feel has caused me to stumble about. And right now I'd feel like, man, I, I, I want to call that out and say that's nonsense. Uh, but at the same time, you know, that's only one person's opinion. And if you try to cater to everybody's uh, kind of thoughts on, on, on the Holy Spirit or on worship or any of that, I think it's really, it's, it gets a minefield because some people will say, wait, you're not, you're not leaving room for the Holy Spirit. And other people will say, hey, well, you, you're pushing this on to people and they, they should have a choice. And so there's a lot to it. I almost feel like as a church and sit down and, uh, with your pastor and with the, the, the elders and say, what, what, kind of a, what kind of an environment are we trying to create? Because neither of them are wrong. They're just different from each other. Um, and I've seen it. I've seen it backfire in churches where they have like super young worship leader playing all the most current worship, and then on another service you'll have the older guy that plays all the old hill song stuff, and then the kids don't want to worship at the at the old guy's worship service, and then the old people are feeling left out when the young guy's leading worship. So there's so many things that that can be, you know, in the culture of worship in a church. Uh, but that's that's something I guess you have to have a chat about. That's my thought would be to get into a situation where you guys talk about what that is and if it's not working for you and they they decide they want to go for the you know the the, the kind of more demonstrative charismatic version then maybe that's just not the right church for you because i'm sure there's other churches that are conservative churches that that don't do that and that may be a better fit for you yeah my, my pastor, Your thoughts about that my pastor uses a uses an analogy that i really like he talks about like churches are all like buses and you know it's like the bus is going somewhere and, you know, you might get on a bus and go like, oh, I want to go to Seattle, but that bus is going to Vancouver. You don't get mad at the bus yeah. for going to Vancouver. You go, oh, shoot, I'm on the wrong bus. I got to get on a different bus that's going to Seattle. So I think in, in, in some ways, you know, like what you're saying, you know, the, what is the vision of the church and, and can what we're doing, can it, does it, does it kind of further that vision? Is it, does it further the vision that God has put in our hearts about this? Um, and are we in the right place to, to, to have that vision in that place? Um, at the same time, you know, there, I think there are ways to, to like, some of it to me is, is about reading your congregation and like, who's there. Um, you know, I come from, I've, I've been in, I'm like, like you, I think I've been through the spectrum of, of worship gatherings. You know, it's like, I was in some very charismatic ones, um, some more traditional ones. I've kind of run the gamut. I've now planted, helped plant a church that's 13 years old. And, you know, and all those people there, or a lot of those people come from very different environments. Like I know that like, I know that, um, you know, my, like my pastor was very involved. He was the pastor at Langley Vineyard back when Brian Dirksen and Andy Park and all those guys were doing the stuff. There was a, there was a high, I guess you could call it, you know, charismatic piece to it. Um, and he's worked in all mm -hmm. those those worlds and at the same time we have people that are coming from very traditional backgrounds as well and so like for me as the worship leader i know my congregation i know the people that are there and so i know i'm i'm, I'm reading them as we go and we're doing this all together and sometimes sometimes it takes some more like hey you know what? let's just let's just wait here let's just spend some time listening does anybody have anything they want to say other times it's just kind of like, hey, we're we're re we're all going to respond in this song together. So there's there's a lot of things. One thing I I I struggle with, and this is just my own personal thing, um, but I've heard a lot of people talk about it. It's, it's difficult when a worship leader tries to get you to respond in a way that they want you to respond. Um, mm -hmm. When there's the when there's the like, come on, give a shout, or let's let's all do this, or let's all everyone do this, like. Like, I think sometimes there's a place for that. Like there's times when I've been like, okay, so for this song, you know, I almost go in like choir director mode and I'm like, this side of the church is gonna sing this and the, this one's gonna sing this and it's gonna come together and it's gonna be beautiful. Like this choir, this really engaging thing. Everyone's enjoying it. And like, I get a lot of great feedback and it's a way to get everybody engaged. But just like yelling at people to do things, I feel like is, it always comes across to me as like, don't, don't tell me, don't try and manipulate me. like. I'm here to engage in worship. I'm here to engage with God. I'm not here to make you feel like you did a great job, you know? Um, yep. So I think, absolutely. so I think that's kind of one of those things to think about, but things like, Hey, if you want to do some free singing or whatever, like that's to me, like, I don't think that's so out of bounds that it's, you know, that it's going to make, you know, just totally turn people off. But I think it's really about kind of reading the room and knowing who's there and seeing if people are going with you. Because if you're trying to do one thing and your congregation is not going with you, like you need to rethink about how that, 
how that's going to work. So, um, a lot to unpack yeah. there. I wouldn't say one thing I would, I would point out, like, I wouldn't say like, Oh, this helped people engage 10 years ago and it doesn't anymore. Um, I wouldn't throw that in there because I think different, it's more, you know, we've had 2000 years of church history that we still do some of the things that they were doing in the very beginning, you know? So I don't think there's necessarily an, like a, mm -hmm. a popularity piece to it or like that worked and now it doesn't. But I think if we just kind of, we know our church and we know our people, I think it'll just help us to lead from, from a, from a strong place. Absolutely, Jason, man. I, I feel like that's that's 100% right. You know, the reality is that God is bigger than um, than some of the things that we might look look at and think they're mistakes. So if you feel like people are not going to be able to meet Jesus because of X or Y, I don't think that's true. I think God is, God, you got to realize how hungry people are to know him and how big God is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and yeah, God absolutely. will meet people in those environments where it's super charismatic and and when it's totally liturgical, God can meet people right there. I don't think He's too small uh, to 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 you know to come through all of that stuff. Uh, I do think it was funny your analogy with the bus, though. You know, if 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 someone jumps in the driver's seat of the bus and says, "I'm taking this bus to Seattle," <laughs> then, then then the whole bus has to go there. I think that that's that's the the opportunity for the leadership to say, "Hey, hey I feel like we're more like this, and our culture is more like that." So being intentional about your own church culture, I think, will help that from happening. But um, but there's nothing wrong with either Vancouver or Seattle, both beautiful places. Yes, they are. They are both very beautiful places. <laughs> nice and green. Really dark right now, thanks to Daylight Savings Time. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Way to bring it back. Well, uh, hey, if you have a question, that, I mean, that was, they don't all have to be that deep. That was kind of a, a pretty... Uh, a pretty meaty question. You can do that. You can just write us and tell us what you think about worship artistry. There's all kinds of things you can do for member mail. We love to hear it. Um, you can hit us up support at worshipartistry.com. If you want to actually learn how to play the songs that uh, you lead at church and do them in a five piece arrangement and really learn kind of all the different pieces with guitars, bass, keys, drums, uh, and soon to be vocals. Uh, oh, I can't wait. Um, go check out worship artistry. You can get a 21 day free trial try it all out and uh, hopefully in those 20 days you realize you just can't live without us because we were so great um, finally if you can't do that but you still love the podcast and you just want to support us please give us a great review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts it's super helpful helps us kind of stay in the ratings and yada yada all that fun stuff and other people get to hear from us Daniel it was great to talk to you man I can't wait to talk to you next week you too man have a good week